This morning, Jen woke up, made three breakfasts, did two loads of laundry, and one conference call. But she also saved $25 because Jen uses a new innovation from Huntington called Money Scout. It analyzes Jen's checking account to find money that's not being used and moves it to her savings automatically. Learn more and enroll at Huntington.com slash Money Scout. Huntington, welcome. Message and data rates may apply to text alerts. Money Scout is subject to eligibility, terms and conditions, and other account agreements. Member FDIC. I learned many great lessons from my father, not the least of which was that you can fail at what you don't want. So you might as well take a chance on doing what you love. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome, welcome to an episode of Speech Therapy. My name is Sid, and I'm your host for the show. If you're new, this podcast is all about discussing certain topics that are imperative to bring to life on a bigger stage. Today, I'm joined by two women who will be sharing their stories along with myself of how we came to make some important decisions in our life that led us to pursue our distinct passions, in turn, allowing us to stray away from the monotonous routine and the system that this world cages us with. And for the most part, continues continues to try and keep our minds imprisoned within it. The stories that will be shared today reflect upon how individual family dynamics, environments that we grew up in, and a multitude of other factors truly affect our passions. Either they hinder it or otherwise support their growth in order for these passions to be able to realize something far greater. So I guess I've done enough talking. Let's just jump right into it. Thank you so much to both of you for joining me today and making this happen on such a short notice. Like, I really, really appreciate that commitment. Yeah, Thanks no for having us. Glad to be here. Awesome. How are you guys doing today? Doing awesome. Wicked. You know, we can get right into it, like, I guess. Uh, we All three of us, we're at the stage of, in our lives that we're, we've tried to take a break from that monotonous routine that I just mentioned uh, from the system that we have in place in the world. Like, you know, now we, we have something in our lives that we're pursuing, this passion that we have. And I feel like all three of us, even though, uh, yes, we come from a, like a no, similar South Asian background. However, I feel like the, our life experiences and the factors of what's affected these passions, you know, that that's different. So who wants to go first? Like who wants to talk about like, you know, what, you know, kind of doing and like where, where you've come from? Well, I'll start. Awesome. Because uh, I know I know we're keeping the names out of this and I totally respect that. No, and, and thank you for that anonymity. It really allows us to to share more openly. Um, basically, we are, my husband and I, we are starting a travel company. Sweet. So for Trapezoid Travel, a lot of people have been like, oh, okay, why a travel company? I thought that you're interested in the nonprofit space and things like that, which is the exact kind of space that I'm working in right now. But then I realized that in order for me to express myself in the field the way I want to, I have to go back to school in order to specialize because it's highly competitive and the nonprofit industry is quite, there's a lot of nepotism involved as well. So I kind of like I was saying, went back to what motivates me and the same thing as you, it's connecting and experiencing. And for the past couple of years, I've been checking out what our community and the GTA has been working on in terms of like creative pursuits and I've been really, really inspired by them. And that's kind of, I think, led me up to this point as well. And the past year, I've been really exploring what people in the diaspora, in the South Asian diaspora, have been doing globally. 
And with travel, my husband's worked in travel for quite a while. I think I've said that earlier. Kind of thinking about how we can both leverage our interests and passions led us to this point because we, first and foremost, we don't want to be bogged down in things that involve money. So this is a way that allows us to be um, self-sufficient, but also travel and do the things that we love. And ultimately, we want to connect people to experiences that grow beauty and love. The two very, very important things in life, the world can make you depressed, put you on your But if you are inspired to go to a different part of the world and express your passions and connect with the local environment, grow cultural appreciation, especially in this time where there's a lot of appropriation going on, whatever kind of stance you want to take on that, there is a weird culture power dynamic that happens in the West. And I guess remembering to go elsewhere, especially with South Asian people who I really hear a lot how we want to connect with our roots, but we don't really know how or we don't know what's in India or Pakistan or Sri Lanka. We just kind of associate these places with our family. Whereas, and the other really kind of important piece is we have a certain idea of what hotel accommodation and travels like in India. Like think of toilet horror stories. Think of like 14-hour road trips to some mountainous pilgrimage, which is enriching in a different way, but then it becomes your only association. I remember my uncle ran over a dog one time and just kept it moving. I was like, wow, this is traumatizing and all part of this crazy India experience. But you may not realize that you can go surfing off the coast of Tamil Nadu. You may not realize that you can go camping um, in Ladakh in a, on a saltwater lake that's 14,000 feet above sea level and all of these amazing experiences. So that's something that we're really excited about. We don't want to just send people to random places and be cooped up in a hotel. We want people to be immersed in the arts, immersed in culture. And we hope that this will grow empathy, grow love, and ultimately that spreads. So that's what we're really aiming to do. So our experiences will be rooted in, like I was saying earlier, art, history, culture, culinary focus. Me and definitely relate on the on the food tip and food culture, it really does bring people together. One thing I learned in the nonprofit world is that you're strategizing and strategizing until you're blue in the face and it's hard to keep everyone at the same table. Meanwhile, when you're finally ready to roll out whatever your plan is, the whole dynamic has changed. And I remember being at a workshop about tackling racism in Edmonton for work um, in February, and they were taught, and one person raised their hand and was kind of expressing how they were so fed up with this over-intellectualization. And I mean, it's one way of looking at it, not to say nonprofits don't do good in our country, but she was saying that I'm tired of all of this talking. Let's just have a barbecue and talk about it. And she talked about how um, she was a part of a barbecue that involved local Mennonites and young Chippewaians who were like having a land dispute. And there were so many external parties trying to kind of mediate and figure, to, figure things out and to get everybody on the same page. But they themselves, a few community leaders, were like, let's just have a barbecue for real. And they did. And they were able at the barbecue with some music dance, maybe a little bit of drinking, they were able to solve their issue. Uh, and create a land agreement. So 
I think just coming together to break bread, have a good time is is what we're all about. So hopefully people will be keen to experience these things with us. That's amazing. Yeah. So and so what are you how about this? Look, what are you getting away from? Like can you talk about like what you do and what kind of sure. brought you to a point where, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to be happy. Mm-hmm. My husband and I are starting a travel company. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of cool. Like how'd that come about? It's been a long journey. I've tried a lot of things, as we were talking about earlier, failed at a lot of things. And after failing a bunch, you kind of get used to failing, comfortable with it. It doesn't bruise your ego as much. It also helps you tame your ego and just kind of keep going, pushing forth and knowing what your goals are. And sometimes it's really hard to clarify what that is. And for us, we just got right down to the conclusion that happiness and love and good health is the only thing that matters and really isolating the factors and variables to kind of figure out what is the best formula for us to get there. And for me, I've had a career. I mean, you were asking what I was doing before that. My career, if you want to call it that, has been rooted in kind of like admin, sales, customer service, ops, with the hope of always working in nonprofit. Right. And my last role was in the nonprofit, is in the nonprofit sector. And... It's interesting because we were talking about pinnacles earlier as well, and it's always been a goal of mine to work from home for a nonprofit and kind of do my own thing. And I realized that, wow, that's not what I want to do at all. Maybe it just wasn't the right place. I realized the kind of hierarchy involved in the nonprofit industry and kind of seen some darker things that I was not privy to beforehand. Um, I realized that I belong more in a grassroots front lines, outreach capacity. And that's something that I'm going to be working towards while balancing getting the travel company on its feet. And yeah, I realized that this is not for me. A a really huge breaking point for me was when I stopped menstruating. Like, I know that's kind of of a bold thing to say, but right off the bat. Okay. Yeah, I got, you know, I got to let you know, because we ignore our bodies, we ignore our minds, we ignore our health, and we feel like we really got to grind. And that comes from our families. And they mean really well. They want us to be uh, independent. They want us to be able to do more than just survive, I think. But in communicating that, they only focus on survival, which is... But that's where they came from. Definitely. Like that generation only knows that survival, has that survival instinct where, you know, putting a roof over our heads, food on the table, and living that basic life. Like if those basic needs are taken care of, I don't care to value or I don't care to think about anything more. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that when the next generation comes around and start talking about those values, those different values, like, you know, mental health awareness or uh, looking at life from a different lens, wanting to pursue different things, not being that typical doctor, engineer, lawyer, whatever, right? Wants to be something different, such as following something in the arts. That's just out of left field for them because Mm -hmm. they go from, okay, well, survival equals doctor engineer lawyer good survival at that and that's it but when it comes to the arts this is something that's so out of left field for them and they don't understand what the ladder looks like because the corporate ladder we can we can uh define and we can show and this is it i'm going to be this five years from now i'll be this 10 years from now i'll be this i will have a lot of money so uh and you know everything's taken care of Mm -hmm. right but with the arts and something that they just don't know or don't care to kind of even look into that's it. That's all they know. So they, I know it comes from a place from love from most parents and most, uh, they want to protect. Absolutely. And I think it's up to us to kind of 
make them see what we're going through in a gentle way because right. there's this immediate understandable defensiveness. It's like I raised right. you, I, I had gone through all these sacrifices and hardships in order to get you where you are now. Now you're going to bite the hand that feeds you. They don't take and they very just drop the that. word ungrateful. Ungrateful, yeah, right. And they just, they they hold to that. And I feel like the onus, if we're trying to deal with this like adults from both sides, because you know um, irrationality, of course, plays a huge part in most of these uh, discussions that we have at home. That oh no, you're just not going to do it, and you're going to respect the way we do. Uh, you're just going to respect us for and take everything as face value. You know, there's no openness to have that discussion. Where, okay, well, if you think this way, can I tell you how I think? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I want to be happy. And I know you love me as a son or daughter, but I'm trying to show you that this is what's going to make me happy. But if there's no openness, how is the discussion going to get any further? Right. But there's so many layers to that. I feel like a lot of it could be stemmed from fear. A lot of it could be stemmed from their form of parenting being the only form of parenting they've ever seen. Right. So that just trickles and kind of spirals and it's like a domino effect what they saw their parents do to them is what they in turn try to avoid but still somehow do to us Mm -hmm. and i don't think it comes from a place of like it's not a negative place it's just a a fear maybe that they have from like a lack of understanding or they don't know these fields like you're saying it's it's a complete left field so they can't even wrap their head around the concept of you doing something that doesn't have a structure or the concept of you doing something that is completely opposite of what they did. Because we have a lot of friends who have gone into the arts and their family have their families have come from artistic backgrounds or like journalism or fine arts majors and stuff like that. So it's not all South Asian families that deal with this, that deal with the typical like accountant, lawyer, right. doctor, like, you know, aspirations. So it really just comes down to your nuclear family and how you interact with them. Yeah, your background, your environment, uh, and your bringing for what what you face with. And yeah, because you mentioned they come from artistic background. Like even the parents come from artistic backgrounds. So yeah. those, of course, they have they have an experience. They have, okay, well, I can teach my kid. If they do want to pursue this, then I have that extra set of knowledge where mm-hmm. I can guide them. But if your kid just wants to do something completely different, such as like the doctor engineer, but you know, doesn't want to take that average path in life. And you, and if that parent has no experience in it, the fear is that much greater. The protectiveness is that much greater. I think with that though, it's like if you, because what you mentioned earlier is like, there's a structure, you know, the corporate ladder. So for someone who has an artistic background as a parent, they're able to, like you said, guide their children through that. But there's also these set of guidelines for the traditional route that they have access to. Whereas it's the complete opposite if you're from someone who's only ever taken the traditional route and you have zero information or or you don't even know where to start when it comes to the creative like world. Right. You know, there's some sort of rationality that's also expected because the onus when it comes to that, like let's say you have that kid that wants to take that left turn. The onus is on the kid to come to the parents or whoever the guardians are to come with this sort of plan. To come with like, this is what I want to do. This is what it entails. This is what's going to take for me to do this or that. If they just come to the parent or guardian and like, yeah, I just don't want to do this anymore. Okay, why not? Mm-hmm. And if you don't want to do this anymore, what do you want to do? And then the kid just goes, uh, yeah, I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. 
That was literally my experience. <laughs> That's literally what I did. I'll figure it out. And, and we're going to, no, we're going to get into that. And uh, you know what I mean? So, of course, now that fear and not knowing what this kid's going to do, that fear is even greater, right? Like, wait, if you don't have a plan, uh, wait, and you're going to quit your job, what about money? What about, you know what I mean? Like, what are you going to do? Right? You know, it's interesting you say that because... I think there's also a lot of unexplainable contradictions that are also intersecting here. Like when I wanted to be on my own and do all the things, I had a plan and I presented it accordingly and it was very rational. But I think some parents, depending on kind of the mental health status of your family, okay. just don't trust their kids. They're like, no, you're, you don't know about the realities of life. Um, your plan sounds nice and dandy, but you're going to fail these are the barriers, and they introduce the, the barriers and the negatives before an iota of positive or neutral feedback. Yeah. Right. So, so then, it's just so then let's get like, into that. Yeah. Uh, let, let's get into that. So you said, okay, uh, you had that, uh, you had this sort of professional career, like, you know, an admin and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And now you're, you and your husband are starting this travel company, right? Is this where you said you presented the plan and everything seemed fine and dandy for them? But they were just like, oh, you have no idea what you're talking about. You're going to respect us the way what we say. We've seen more life than you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Is that what happened? Like, can you go through exactly what obstacles you faced when it came to Sure. It's, I guess we'd have to rewind a little bit because I'm a little older, just for some context for (laughs) your listeners. (laughs) I'm 32 and I'm married. So life is a little bit different for me in terms of interaction with my parents. Right. But there are a lot of uh, similarities for unmarried folks and kind of that parental umbrella that's always there. And my parents are pretty progressive. They're open. Um, They do listen to my ideas nowadays. I'm not as comfortable being open with my ambitions. Right. But in reference to your question, my plan, I guess, was to move to Canada from the United States at a young age. And... I wanted to live in Canada. I wanted to have my life there. I wanted Great to go choice. to school for... Uh, hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> Great Thank choice. God I'm here. <laughs> and my family didn't really understand why, but they kind of... It was a it was a very rough situation and I kind of just left. And I think the first point of contention was when I told them that what I wanted to study, that was the real starting point. And I think a lot of people can relate to this when they're picking a program that's quote unquote left fields. I was actually studying social work, which at that time was weird for people. They didn't know what it was. They didn't want to talk about it. They kind of deflected the topic when they're like, what is your daughter studying? Years later, I then switched to anthropology, um, specializing in culture and religion, even more confusion. What are you going to do with that? How does that relate to anything? Right. For what it was like social work or even like, you know, uh, anthropology and religion, like, they're noble. Like social work is noble, right? Mm-hmm. And, but it's never pushed in, uh, you know, in this family culture yeah. because, uh, well, is it going to pay the bills? Mm-hmm. But you yeah, don't get into like it for the cultural money. context as well. Like what yeah. they've seen as social work has probably been rooted in history of people going out and doing like Mother Teresa type things. Right, right, right. right. It's like, like, oh, are you going to be Mahatma Gandhi? Yeah. And it's like, how is I going to bring in money to your house? Or how mm-hmm. are you, where are you going to be? Where are you going to be? Do you have a base? Do you have a home base? Are you going to just be traveling the whole time and doing these types of things? Or? Mm-hmm. Right. And I found that I did have a plan. I did have a vision. But all of the, all of that kind of negative, sometimes very brutally harsh feedback 
really did make me second guess myself. And it's just like any other kind of negative conditioning. You begin to question your own uh, way of thinking, your own goals, your life, your emotions, all of those things. And I think for me, it's just been a balance for the last decade of really knowing who I am, uh, what I want, what makes me happy and filtering out other people's projections onto me, like getting off the projections right off of me and then just being with myself. And that's normal because like you're a human being, you, you're figuring it out as you go even more so because you said you left and you wanted to come to Canada. Right. And you like, you know, you don't, you clearly don't have that parent parental support at that time. So not only are you getting that negative negative feedback of no don't pursue this don't pursue that so doubts are very early on in your head right what what may have started out as like okay you know here's a plan this is what i'm going to do but from the people that you consider rocks when you're growing up if they're the ones that are just throwing a lot of shade at that how are you ever going to be able to solidify that foundation within yourself and be able to rely upon yourself and move forward Mm-hmm. Especially for me, I was out here, but I was also putting myself through school. So if you're worrying about survival all the time, it's really hard to work on your passions and dreams. Very true. And I know a lot of people can do it, and that's amazing. And I've seen a lot of people come up from really harsh situations just spring up. But, you know, not everybody's yeah. path Suffering is like is relative. that. And yeah. Right. It is relative. Mm-hmm. And it's not always supposed to be, you know, it, uh, it sucks. It always comes down to like, oh, be grateful what you have because somebody in Africa doesn't have this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's that, that typical statement. Right. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, suffering and money, is it's relative. Mm-hmm. Right. I feel like now that I am married, I do have a consistent source of support and vice versa. This has really allowed me the time and space to pursue this and bring it into fruition. So and that's think, amazing. And you get to share yeah. this with your life partner. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's it's a real blessing. It's just been a long road, yeah. but it's incredible. Right. Uh, so then outside of your, I guess, the non-support from your family and the negative feedback that you got, were there any other major obstacles that you faced that really impacted this plan to bring into fruition, this, this travel company that you said? I would just say having that confidence and knowing how to manage my fears because when you're really putting yourself out there, it's you're really taking a nosedive. Very true. You have no idea. I've always been a risk taker. I love to dive into things, figure it out, you know, make the adjustments. If it works, great. If it doesn't work, keep it moving. That doesn't mean that I don't freak out in between and think, what the heck am I doing? And then all of my family's voices start kind of invading my mind. Right. But yeah, I, I think that you'll always get somewhere if you keep moving. It might be a very convoluted path, but you'll still get there. But the important point is to keep, you you still have to keep running towards Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. what, you know, crawling, walking, whatever it is. Whatever. Right? As soon as you stop moving, that's when it really hits the fan. Mm -hmm. Okay, sweet. So you had these pressures, but how did you switch into gear of focusing on bringing this project to life with your life partner, Mm -hmm. right? With your husband. And, start tuning these pressures out like you know it's very hard very easy to sit here and be like oh i don't have any support from my family mm-hmm. you felt that not having support from your family from people you know your parents that have given birth to you mm-hmm. right it's it's uh it's shattering for a person so how did you oh, how were you able to tune these 
pressures out eventually with a lot of, you know, self-focus and strength within you. Uh, how, how were you able to switch into gear? Like, no, no matter what, this project has to see the day of light. Mm-hmm. I think just like leading with love for those people, not having animosity, really actively understanding where they're coming from like you were talking about earlier like they don't mean harm our parents love us um it's just certain things get lost in translation which is natural so i think trying to have positive relationships with everyone leading with love forgiving and knowing that there's nothing that i can do to satisfy people like people i I get a lot of pressure for having kids right now when I, if I have a child, when's the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one? My poor mom, she was getting asked when she's having a baby, like when she was well into her 40s. Like wow. it's not going to stop. Yeah. So just knowing and surrendering to the fact that, no, I'm not going to be able to, to please you, but I love you and I hope you see that. And I think that's all. It's, it's really simple. We overcomplicate a lot of things, but it's hard to get to simplicity. And I'm glad you mentioned those pressures that you said as a woman, because that led into my next question. And that's, uh, that's basically, and I, and I want you to chime into this as well. Uh, how do you feel being a woman as part of your culture? Oh uh, that also, <laughs> see, you already know, I'm sure mm-hmm. you guys are both like boiling to say what you have to say. Like that being a woman in your culture, uh, what other additional pressures has that put towards your particular project? I guess from my experiences, a lot of it came with the with age. Mm. So as you go through certain like milestones, I guess like 18, it's like you got to go to school and we want you to get your education. And now you're 21 and starting to think about maybe settling down. And you're like 21. Mm. Like that's so <laughs> early. Like people right. aren't even legal at this age. Very true. And they're starting to tell you about marriage and like, oh, do you have a partner or do you like need us to set this up or do you want to start looking? And they have these weird preconceived notions of what you should be doing at certain stages of your life. And I think as a woman, you get the most pressure for getting married, having children, settling down in your career. Like all those things need to happen within this like given timeline. Otherwise, you're not successful as a woman and you don't see that happening to your brothers or your cousins or any male like influence around you and that can really deter you from from just feeling like you have a voice or feeling like you can go out and do the things you want to do without being pulled back down and saying like no you can't go out at night because you're a girl and you know you're all these things are are factors and we can't we can't vouch for your safety or what are people going to say? Like those classic lines right. that you hear over and over and over and it's literally ingrained in your mind. So I think just you can start so many conversations just as a South Asian woman, insert whatever uncomfortable scenario mm-hmm. I've had to deal with this. So for me, it always started with age. But I think as I got more and more comfortable talking to my parents, the conversations became more layered. It was less about being mad at them and telling them I didn't want to do what they were telling me or I didn't agree with what they were telling me and more about telling them why. So I had a lot of a lot of struggles like as a teenager, as a young adult, I was just very mad all the time. Like I was mad at my parents for everything, like every little thing. And I think a lot of people experience that. It's not just about like the South Asian community or the way we all interact, but 
I live in a multi-generational family. Like we have two sets of parents. Right. So like my grandparents live with me and then I have my parents and my other grandparents are not far away. So I have so many people bringing me up and telling me different things. And it's so hard for you to pick and choose what you agree with and have those conversations with everyone and try and get them on the same page. And it's like we said earlier, you can't satisfy everyone. So now I think I've learned that I need to have a more relaxed and in-depth conversation with people and sit there and try my best to completely explain what I'm going through or why I don't agree with something or why I'm doing what I'm doing. And there are language barriers. It's really hard to to get everything out there and and make it clear and concise. But the more you have the conversation, the more you allow people to kind of marinate in that idea. Right. So just surely with our passions, it's like you have to have that conversation more than once. It can't be a resolute thing where you sit down and say, you know what, I'm doing this. This is my game plan. And that's the end of the discussion. It's always going to be a conversation. And I think you have to learn to just be comfortable with yeah, that. Yeah, things come up, right? Yeah. As, mm-hmm. as you're progressing. The the constraints that you said about uh, as a woman, we were discussing this earlier uh, because I, I uh, having seen life at the age that I am now and with the accumulation of experiences, it's really easy to tell that the world isn't set up for women at all. Yeah. At all. In, every, in any walk of life, uh, professional, personal, society, the, you know, women just have to fight twice or thrice as hard to get basic things done. And the pressures that you were talking about before, I feel like another thing that you compared your experience to your brothers, right? Another thing is your biological clock. Yeah. Right. I've that- had awkward conversations. <laughs> like I'm 20, I'm turning 27. Right. And I've had very awkward conversations with uncles who are like, you know, have you thought about getting married? And and I was like, no, why? I don't have a partner. Like I haven't, like I'm trying to get my business started and like off the ground and I'm trying to get, you know, things right for myself. Right. And just be comfortable with my life. And he's like, yeah, you know, like it's it's just not about, so much about the marriage part, more about your biological clock. And I was like, ew, this is the most awkward In other words, your vagina is expired. Yeah. Says not, your yeah. uncle, not even your Says aunt. Says namesake uncle. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> With my aunt and my grandma sitting there. Wow. And he's mm-hmm. just like, you know, it's normal for them. It, that's what freaked me out the most. It wasn't even that he was having this conversation with me. Because that could have been a very calm and like, the type of person he is, I could have had a very civil and like calm, relaxed Fair. conversation. But the fact that he was able to feel comfortable enough to say this in front of my aunt and my grandma, who are now going to be thinking the same thing and being like, why doesn't she want to have children? Or does she does she have a partner? Like, you know, they start taking it and, and making weird scenarios in their mind of why I had a negative reaction to his question. But asking me about my biological clock and telling me that, you know, I should have children by a certain age or you know, it's harder when you're at this age or maybe you want more than one child and you have to think further ahead. And I'm like, I don't want to have this conversation with you. Also, you have no right to have this conversation. Very true. My parents don't even talk to me about this stuff. So things like that are just so commonplace. And it's it's mind boggling to think that people have this, this right or they have this... Um, Authority? Authority, yeah. They have this authority. They feel that they can just have these conversations with anyone 
because they are your uncle or they're your like, you know, they're really close to your parents or whatever. <laughs> That's you're not my parent, right? You're not That's my true. parent. I don't want this conversation to happen with anyone except for my partner. That's the only person I should be discussing my biological clock with or my doctor. Right, mm-hmm. and and to a much lesser extent. Guys get those pressures to a lesser extent, like, oh, like you should think about marriage, this and that. However, they're afforded that luxury of, oh, you know what? Set your career up. Let's uh, plant your feet first, figure out your job situation, this, that. And when you, uh, when you, in our perception, are looked upon as, oh, he can be a provider now. Okay, now let's talk about marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? But that's because but they're I afforded don't think that people, luxury. Because people right? don't think that the woman can be the breadwinner. Or they don't, they don't, maybe not now, but that is a very, it's not that old school of a thought, but. It's not, no. But if you can't look at a woman as a breadwinner, you will never think of her biological clock in relation with her partner. You know, it's always like, she's young. She should have a child. Well, it doesn't matter they, if her It's just primitive thinking, right? Older. Like women are just come, uh, come on earth to pop out babies, serve their husband and family get all the household work done and pass away mm-hmm. what yeah, other value are they providing like it's that. it's so it's so sad because you know like even most powerful men come from women yeah. you know it's as it's as simple as that and without women we would not be here at all and it's sad women are the ones that the most injustice happens to and it's it's just crazy to think like why why is that but right. that primitive timeline that you described is something that we still see. Like we've seen it in still our prevalent. Family. Still prevalent. It's a modern way of thinking yeah. for some, for many. Yeah. It always I relate to so much of what you're saying, as probably so many of you out there listening do as well. People having the right to police your body and also to comment on it. Like how how are you even having this discussion yeah. with me? Like it's 2018. Yeah. Why are you talking to me about when I should pop out babies? But interestingly, with some of the female family and friends that we have, I've asked, um, you know, why? Why do you think I should have a baby? And I've gotten some really interesting responses. One aunt said, "Well, it'll be boring if you don't have a baby." Which really speaks <laughs> to her life. Like yeah, her yeah. opportunity, her chances to do whatever she wanted to do, her um, self-determination, going for happiness, all of that is rooted in kids. And when you make, when you structure society in such a way where that's the only way that women can be happy, that's ter- that's so terrible because eventually those kids are going to grow up and do their own thing and then you're going to be heartbroken and overattached possibly right. and that creates a negative cycle of dependency. Just the other side of that thing, uh, yes, when it comes to setting society up in that way, I agree it's wrong because everybody's definition of happiness is different. Now, if that lady in particular, if her definition of happiness was just to pop out the baby and become a mother and live life with that and be genuinely content with that, more power to her. Definitely. Right? But the problem comes in place like, that's great for your household. That's great for you, mm-hmm. but maybe not for several other women yeah. that maybe want to be breadwinners. Maybe <laughs> want to maybe want to aspire to be something much greater. Want to be the main providers for their family. Why should they be told no, 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 no? no. Learn this and this. Learn cooking. Learn all that. Mm-hmm. Don't you know your man can provide for you? Yeah. you know or maybe I mean? you don't want to be a breadwinner. Maybe you just want to around your whole life. 
and enjoy the world and not want to have kids. Uh, yeah. There's so many different ways. But even like woman to woman, it means we need to understand where that's coming from. Mm-hmm. Like, like that comment, you could have just taken completely negatively and been like, wow, she really had nothing to do in her life. Like mm. she, she's completely bored. But to be empathetic and actually understand like maybe she had aspirations and she was shot down. And so for me, it means I need to understand her from that level. Definitely. As a woman to, to be able to relate to her experiences and potentially put that forward. Mm-hmm. So glad you brought up aspirations because that's uh, some of the question I had. Um, did you have any aspirations that were shot down by your... Oh man, so many, so yeah. many. <laughs> what's one What's one a groundbreaking aspiration that you had that like defined you as a person at that time Yeah, that was shot down and it really shook your core? So it all started. No, No, actually, when I I was 18, I wanted to, uh, so we was graduating high school and I had applied to, again, a program where my parents just didn't understand. Okay. Like it wasn't that left field, but um, I wanted to go into linguistics, specifically French. Sweet. And I wanted to study at the University of Ottawa. But my parents um, thought that it was too far away and they didn't want me to, to move that long of a distance and just, you know, the commuting back and forth or that fear of if something happened to me, how would they get to me quick enough? Mm. So that was a discussion we had. But like I said earlier, I was a very angry child. So it didn't happen in the nicest way. Like, you know, some mean things were said back and forth. But from that discussion, what I got was they're not going to let me do it. They don't want me to do it. And I didn't have enough courage to push back and say, screw it, I'm going to still go there. So I kind of just succumbed to whatever they wanted and I ended up going to a school that was closer to home. Okay. And I hated it. I hated my experience. I loved the city. I loved the people I interacted with, but I hated the school. I hated what I was studying. Like, I think it just, because of what I wanted to do. Yeah, the remnants of the regret and the- Yeah, it just bled into everything else. It just created this really shitty experience for me. And I didn't do very well in school. And so I, I, I left and then I was off for so many years. And I think, well, I moved back home and um, a lot of things happened in between that. Yeah. But eventually I started realizing, you know, I can't just do something because it's a good job or like my parents want me to do this. Or I don't, they pushed me a lot to go back to school after. They were like, you know, you should continue your education. You should finish off and and get a good job and, you know, start your career. But I was so confused. I'm like, I don't know if I want to continue in linguistics. I don't know if I want to continue in anything. I don't know if I want to keep learning in general. And I just lost that drive. Like in high school and and growing up, I just, I read a lot and I was always someone who was really intrigued. And I loved having these interesting conversations with the randomest people about everything. So there was that desire to just always learn. And it just stopped after I moved back home. And I think it was a lot of it was the environment or like the lack of communication or this lack of understanding that I was sad and depressed and I didn't, I wasn't happy and no one was noticing and I didn't know how to have that conversation. So it took me a while to really like realize what was going on. And I eventually did go back to school. Um, I went back for business and I think learning about marketing and accounting and all these like, you know, um, taking all these random courses and I volunteered for nonprofits and just having that reminded me of what I love doing. 
and that I wanted to help people and I wanted to do what was happy, what made me happy. So I turned it into taking something that I was passionate about at home and turning it into a business right? and using what I learned in school and what I had learned through working several random jobs um, and pushing it in towards this goal. So Amazing. Mm. And that's good that you eventually figured out what you wanted to do, yeah. what your purpose was and what, you know, what would make you happy in the long run. Where, you know, like, and I'm hearing your experiences and, you know, even as being women, another disadvantage just by how you're treated. Because mm-hmm. I think being a woman is an advantage and it always should be. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Because growing up and just what I know of life now, I think women are extremely powerful and should be empowered in every aspect of life. But because the world isn't set up for them, they grow up to play defense in this world. They're not taught to play offense. Mm-hmm. And that's sad because our kids are like, actually, I was talking about this TED talk that I, um, that I read. I'll, I'll share this with you as well. You can Bas- share it with the audience. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you should post it in the comments. <laughs> um, so basically, I wish I knew your name, but uh, it just came across on Facebook. Basically, what she was saying is young girls and young boys, we teach our young boys to play dirty, to take risks and, you know, just, just take risk. And they're told to like... Uh, do this and do that and run and walk as far as you can. But for women, they're taught to be preppy, yep. to be well put together, to learn this, learn that, be respectful and to be subdued, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Why isn't that same uh, same way of teaching our boys given to our girls? When they grow up, this shows in your professional lives where not taking those risks or playing defense might not work out in a cutthroat business environment. And that's basically what the TED Talk was centered about, that why, why are we not, uh, from a younger age, leveling the playing field, which is important. And me, I, I do want to be a parent one day. It taught me a lot because, you know, I'm sure coming from, like, you know, being a guy in this world where, I'm, where I've been taught, oh, I can, you know, offense or defense, whatever it is, I know I can take it because I don't have a biological clock. I don't have these, uh, quote unquote, disadvantages that women have. But like, not many people would say, like, the women should, should be at the forefront okay uh here's one angle we can take women have an advantage because they just the tasks that they're given they can handle fourteen thousand things at once and also do it efficiently uh women multitask better they're known to persevere much more hardships than the average male because the world is not set out for them so clearly when you come out the gate and you're facing a lot of obstacles more obstacles than the average male getting somewhere is that much harder. I feel like in that way, just the complete human being that a woman becomes, yeah. that right there should put them in the forefront. That right there is their advantage because they, they've they just battled more at life to get somewhere than the average male. You know, and that should be like, not, I'm not saying like applauded and congratulated, but in the sense that like that, that should be understood within you mm-hmm. as a guy looking at that. Yeah. Because, you know, guys see women in the first they thing they see think candidacy of, yeah and it's really kind of like something you said earlier just thinking of like in victorian times when you would say like i'm sending a guy to school it means he's going to learn and like he's learning math english like he's getting a proper education right when you would say i'm sending a woman to school it meant she was going to like etiquette classes or she was learning how to sew she's getting domesticated she's learning how to be demure she's learning how to walk in society you know like 
there's such a it's systematic like it's been going on for so long where a woman has never been considered strong enough to do what a man does and it's just because there have been times where they've never been given the opportunity to even right. show it so now i think a lot of women are coming up and and saying like i'm an entrepreneur and i run an all female company and it's not because i don't want to hire a male it's just cuz i know that these women can can do this 10 times better than a man fair mm-hmm. or it's just to empower you know and having that camaraderie like we were saying earlier like woman to woman you need to understand and it goes with everything it's not just about your body and your experiences it's about putting that community and putting all of us um together and pushing forward and pushing against absolutely arbitrary like archaic thought yeah that's that thing so you know what do you want to talk about your your passion project like uh, what you grew tired of and how yeah. this project was born and uh we'll get into how you're moving it forward in a bit for sure so i um had a background i was working for um a financial institution cool and i had been working for with them for almost like seven years now and i hated it (laughs) like it's for some people not to like you know absolutely to bash like the institution but um i just quickly realized when i was working there that it wasn't something that i wanted to do i loved the customer service aspect i loved getting to know people and and really like you know getting into what kind of help they needed but it just wasn't an environment where i felt like i wanted to stay in for too long it helped me pick up skills that i realized were things that i could i could transfer to future jobs right. which i eventually did but um working with them i i eventually when i said i went back to school and i had smaller part-time jobs within it and those i felt more fulfilled in and i was getting paid less i was i had less hours but mm. i still found that i was doing what I wanted to do. And that was helping. I was working with students who had um, learning disabilities. So I was really able to show them and and like, you know, it was more one-on-one and it was in depth and it didn't feel surface interaction. It didn't feel like surface customer service. Right, right, right. It was, the typical things that yeah, you have to do. Yeah. It's like, hello, sir. How are you? What can I do for you today? Type of crap. But when I was working with these students, it was like, hey, here's my email. Here's my phone number. If you ever need anything, contact me. Like, I'll help you out. Like, I can help you between classes or whatever you need. I have all these resources. And it it is what I was mentioning earlier. It was like, it struck that chord again of like, oh, I want to learn. So I learned more about their disabilities. I would go in depth and find things for them and send it to them. And like, I got excited about it again. So you value so, connections, the connections over interactions. Yeah. For sure. That, it's always I mean? about yeah. experience. It's always leaving a person with that lasting impression of like, this person really helped me out. Right. And whether or not you remember my name or like 10 years from now, you even recognize my face like on the street. I know internally that, oh, I helped this person and it helped them progress and push them to something that was more positive. So that feeling eventually... I realized like with my passion project, I wanted to project that and it came through food because it was something that I would go home and um, I'd be so drained from the day and food made me so happy. Like 
that sounds like a really like gluttonous thing to say. No, that's but, right. Yeah, no, I get it. But it would I'd be cooking and I'd I'd share it with my family and I'd see their reactions and like their excitement of like, oh, this is really good, or like, oh, what did you do here? Or, like you tried something new and that experimentation of like learning more and like I spent so much time on YouTube and like blogs and just watching new things about yeah, food. Like researching, and, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and it wasn't it didn't feel like research though. It just felt like something interesting right. and like you know you, new things would pop up on netflix for all these documentaries and i would just watch it and it'd be something i had nothing like no background on like i think i binged sake documentaries for three days <laughs> oh wow and i'm like i'm never gonna make sake but i want to learn because it's just so interesting and so as i cooked more and and was sharing with people and like i started develop actually learning to develop recipes right i took baking because i it's more of a science it's like cooking i feel like you there are some very there are like a lot of um scientific aspects to it like molecular gastronomy but um not to get too wordy molecular gastronomy (laughs) oh you don't know what that is i'm gonna research that tonight i'll tell you that much (laughs) molecular gastronomy yeah it's really cool i've never thought about that in cooking in my life yeah but you've seen like liquid nitrogen yeah and that that's molecular gastronomy so like um or creating uh like oils and like it's really about breaking down the food and taking it from its raw form and reproducing it in new ways so but to get back to what i was saying is just like after i i started like developing recipes and stuff i realized like baking was where i really wanted to go sweet so i started i think the first cake i ever made was like the ugliest thing ever like i looked at the picture recently and it was so bad um it was in high school but okay i started taking it more seriously like as an adult i was like all right i'm gonna learn and like buy the correct pans and like you know invest in all these like like ingredients and like quality stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I really got into it. So from there, I started just like practicing and like making cakes for people. And I was like, you know what? I've been talking about this for years. And I had the name for my business for so long in my mind. Nice. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to register it. And I'm just going to gun it. Like I'm just going to go for it. So I was already like weaning off of working at the bank. And... I hadn't been to picking up shifts at all. And I was just strictly like focused on this. And um, yeah, I just went for it. Like, I just felt like it was something I needed to do because it made me happy. Like those reactions of when I would give people cakes or they'd see what I had created or just watching them eat it even. Yeah. Well, just got me so excited. It was like that same satisfaction of helping someone um, in all my past jobs and getting to hear the feedback and learning to put my ego aside and be very like constructive of what they were saying and right. and helping it better me was something that I can't even explain like there's so much gratification in it just being able to give someone something that they didn't they couldn't even conceptualize and I've somehow created it for them right is just like another feeling so that's amazing. Do you want to get into like, do you want to plug your business? Oh or? yeah, for sure. It's uh, Baked and Brewed. Awesome. You can find us on Instagram. The Facebook uh, page will be live very soon, but Sweet. I'll link it for you. And yeah, we're trying to get get into the GTA like events and stuff, like go to some like food festivals and things like that. So we just recently did Karasaga. That's amazing. Um, that was intense. It was like 
zero to 100. I just went straight for it. And yeah, that's to... that's uh, another question I had I, specifically to your business. Uh, when it came to you, you mentioned you've had the name and the idea for many years, mm-hmm. right? But when you launched, it just seemed like, okay, you know what? You are gung-ho, yeah. 200% invested, and this is out. Uh, we're doing orders. We're doing this, this, this. Everything just happened so fast. However, yeah. do you want to talk about the behind the scenes that happened oh, for yeah. probably, you know, ho- however many months before I... that festival? Sure. So I so I originally ma- imagined this company as like a side project. Okay. Like I always thought I would work in nonprofits um, based in education and have this on the side right but eventually i realized like you know what why don't i just go for it like if i just put all my energy into it and build it up from the ground until it's like self-sufficient if i really feel passionate about going back to work or working you know somewhere and making a career i can do that i have that option but i'll never have the time that i have now to put into this so i had a conversation with my dad actually and he's a entre- well, former entrepreneur. He ran a business for almost 23 years. That's huge. Wow. That's and, a long time. Yeah. Very long time. And I remember like as a kid, I wouldn't see him as often because he was always working. Like he'd always be at the shop, like doing his thing or, you know, running like side jobs so that he could make some extra money if like it was a slow day. And actually very recently we had a conversation um, and he was telling me, you know, like, I never wanted you to get into this field. I never wanted you to be an entrepreneur because I know how much of a sacrifice it is. Mm. And it's not because I don't think that you can be successful or that I don't believe in your dream. It's just that I didn't get to spend my time with you guys, like growing up. I have three younger siblings. So to not be able to spend that much time with us was for him his biggest sacrifice. And he's like, even for you as a woman, and it comes back to that, is like, you're going to have a harder time sacrificing your business or maybe a soccer game or like, you know, going for a delivery and seeing your kids recital or, you know, just being there, just being present. Even when you're at home, you could just be thinking about work. And I do that constantly, even now, and I don't have any dependents or partner or anything to think about. Right. Even on my way here, I was like, oh, you know, I got to like finish this order or maybe if I use this material, I can do that. And I'm like, I need to not, you need to kind of decompress and it's really hard. So tangent, but to like answer your question, I, um, I'd spent maybe three or four weeks from Signing up for Carasaga yeah. to developing everything, like logo, business cards, um, aesthetics, like even the tablescape. Like I had nothing ready. I had just had the business and I was doing small orders and yeah. and just, you know, doing some stuff for free, but I'd never done an event. I didn't even have business cards before. So I got my best friend to, uh, who's a graphic designer to help me make a logo. And then from there, we just... Like, things just kind of rolled out. Like, I just spent so many hours a day, like 16 hours a day almost, just working on stuff. Um, But the Karasaga thing, I think, really pushed me. And in a good way, like, it pushed me to focus on knowing what what my brand was about and really seeing what I was capable of. Because I was always really fearful. Like, I'm like, I won't be able to do, like, a huge event, like a catering situation. Like, it's going to be a lot. I'm just one person. I'm the only one that bakes. So I got my mom on board. I got my little sister on board. 
and they came out with me to an uh, we had to rent a commercial kitchen and we worked there for like six days getting ready for Kurosaga. I think we spent almost 14 hours a day from like start to finish just like grabbing ingredients baking coming home setting things up and I would be there at the kitchen for almost 10 hours come home and like work on Instagram work on the Facebook page create the business cards like you know I was still doing a lot of stuff on the side so I really really pushed myself and I'm super proud of what I was able to do in that short amount of time I don't think I would ever do that again (laughs) But, um, like it's a, it's a huge sacrifice. And it reminded me of what my dad said, like, you know, you're, you are just going to sacrifice your time. You're not going to see people. You won't have the opportunity to just drop things and go because you are the business. You are the talent. So there's no one else you can put that on. But are you never going to be okay with that? I am. I'm totally okay. Okay. I'm totally fine with it. That's it's just the like, you know, it, it's just that conversation. Again, we have to reiterate it over and over to our parents to be like, you don't have to worry. Right. Um, if there is something for you to worry about, I'll address it. Like, I'll let you know, like, I'm stressed, I'm pressed. Like, I need, yeah. I need, a, I need a break. No, but that's a mentality that's going yeah. to definitely uh, take you places mm-hmm. that you have to be able to zero in and be so invested in what you do that mm-hmm. the hours on the clock just kind of fly by. Yeah. Right. And especially if you enjoy what you do, right? That's the, that's the important part here. So to further this conversation on, you know, the pressures that you face being the gender that you are being women in South Asian culture, I feel like that's so deeply rooted over generations, right? Those, those pressures. And I'm sure your parents and grandparents have faced that pressure. Do you have any, do you think your moms in particular were ever like shut down or shot down in terms of whatever aspirations they had, just like you guys have the chance and privilege to do now? Do you think, you know, in older times they didn't have that privilege something that comes to mind immediately was my great-grandmother on my mom's side i'm pretty sure she was an open feminist and in those times in like like my maternal side her family there there are a lot of teachers and educators and some of that sometime overlap with outreach work but then my actual grandmother is not that way she would do some sort of like women support things should go into villages and offer birth control and try and teach people about reproductive health. But at the same time, she wanted me to get married when I was 16. Cause she, I, I can only assume she thought I was unruly and that was a way to keep me, I don't know, tame or whatever. Right. But she made sure my mom had a great education. My mom studied economics and politics and came here, did some kind of computer business admin until all that stuff became obsolete. But she was offered a job in Montreal to work and kind of move there. Her business was, her company rather, was going to move her there, move all of us. But then my dad got another opportunity in um, the United States. And there was no question of whether or not we were going to go the path um, with my mom's career which could have arguably been been more lucrative. Wow. Um, We just went to the United States where we had a really, really tough time. And she just kind of internalized that. She didn't think twice about it because like what we were talking about before, you get used to it. You get used to your oppression. You work within your constraints. Mm -hmm. And I think with parents, they think the only thing that matters is getting my kids right. So I, I have asked her about that. And she kind of like, 
gives me this, it is what it is response. She's accepted her destiny and, but I think it does affect them. And, and my dad too, he, he's a naturally creative guy, but he couldn't talk about that with his, with his family. He couldn't talk about like, I don't know, outer space and stuff. Like he and I share that interest, yeah. but right. your inherent personality is just shot down. If it strays in any direction, uh, you're punished. So I don't think that they would articulate it that way, but that's how I've internalized it with, with being raised and also how that connects with aspiring to marry. Because I remember at a very, very young age, before I even started menstruating, people were talking about, you know, marriage. And I guess it's a cutesy way to joke with kids. But I always thought it was really, really terrifying. And the moment I realized that this is like what that reality looks like is when I started menstruating. When I, when I had my first period, I had very, very early. And suddenly I have a child's mind still, but everyone is treating me like I'm a grown woman. And that was really, really trippy for me. Men started talking to me differently. Uncles started interacting with me differently. There were these different set of expectations. Suddenly I got to make you a stack of rotis, which is fine. <laughs> but like, I should be doing other things. Fair. So right off the get-go, there's that kind of conditioning, which is really hard to break free from. And what about yourself? Well, my mom... My mom actually got married pretty young. Like she... But that was a choice for her. She met my dad when they were 17, I believe. She was 17. My dad's five years older than her, so he was 22. And um, he was friends with my mom's older sister. Okay. So they used to go, they went all into the high school together. They all ran in the same circle. Like the South Asian community was very small at that point, right? So everyone pretty much knew the families. So my parents, I think, eventually started to like each other. And it's so just weird to think about this because it's so taboo from their time. But they dated for about a year. Mm. And then eventually, like, my dad told uh, our namesake grandmother. And she brought it up with my grandfather and was like, you know, so you're like, my dad is interested in, the, in my mom and they want to get married. So maybe you guys should start that process. And at first he was really like, this is not. This is not how we do it. Like, we don't, we don't get to date. Like, we choose who my son marries. So for them, like, it was a different struggle. Like, they started a different fight before, like, for my mom especially. Like, it was a different kind of push. And it was more to, like, be with the person you love. So eventually, like, things worked out and they got married, obviously, because I'm here. But... Um, <laughs> She was 19 when she was married and she was in school, like she was going to college and she wanted to finish her education. And um, my dad wanted to start a business. So he was working full time and she was working part time while going to school to save up, to help save up for the business and, and put that money towards the initial investment. But it kind of like pushed her back from school like she didn't get to do as many courses and then you know slowly started to like um have less and less time and then she had me and still was like you know I need to get my education and so she put herself through school like she continued to put herself through school so her struggles were just um I think they were more similar to like what I experienced but she was 
also very rebellious. Like she just pushed against everything. Like she didn't care what people thought. Um, and I think knowing that my dad was very supportive really helped her, her be that way. I mean, there's a lot of like internal family things that I'm sure went down, but I think it set a good example for me. Like it, it really gave me, it gave me like a platform to, to know that there's a positive female support. There's someone who will understand what I'm going through. Like when I told her about the business, um, she was really, really like understanding. She didn't get what I did. Like she didn't understand how much time was invested in it. Right. But she was really like, you know what? If this is something that you want to do, like pursue your passions. She's like, I will. She'll literally fight anyone for me. And my dad was one of those people who didn't understand initially because, again, he didn't want me to go through that entrepreneur life and struggle and and put things aside and sacrifice. But my mom understood that. And I think it's because she did have to sacrifice things in the past. And it wasn't necessarily her aspirations, but it was more like time or being able to go and do certain things that she wanted to do. It was very like opposite. I don't even know how to explain it. Like she, my, my grandparents are very conservative and she came from a more progressive family in comparison to my dad's. So she was allowed to go out and wear like mini skirts and like no one said anything to her and she could go like to the movies and eat whatever she wanted. Like they didn't say anything. And when she got married, it was more like, you need to be more feminine. You need to be more covered up. You need to wear suits at home. You need to cook when, you know, we have 25 guests coming over and you have to be that typical married woman in the South Asian community. And that for her was her struggle. It was it was her modern mentality fighting against being with the person she loved, but also pleasing the people that she had to live with. So I think her her struggles like now she's like so, so she still lives with her in-laws like which is my grandparents but that became something that she just had to get used to and I think it may have been resentment in the beginning but it's grown to be like respect and also like respecting that it's people that my dad loves. So it's a very different um mm. it's a very different life like I don't think I could ever relate to that but right but to watch that to, as a child, I didn't get it. But I think as an adult, I understand and I can be more empathetic with what she had to go through. Fair. Mm-hmm. Having these pressures that face women in this community, having it be so deep rooted, how do you think that'll change for the next generation? How do you think you guys particularly will act or try to teach the next generation to be forward thinking, to be to take those risks? to be empowered young women that can, you know, follow in your guys' directions where they can they can actively pursue what they want to do, right? As opposed to fall into the same trap. Mm-hmm. I consider myself an advocate, but when you're doing that kind of work, I guess, or that communicate those kind of, or try and empower people, you have to tread lightly. I've I've done that in my own family, and I've been really ridiculed for it. I've been accused a lot about brainwashing my my young siblings, my cousin brothers, cousin sisters. Whereas I'm trying to let them know that they have power, they have agency, um, they can determine their own destiny, and really just trying to get encourage them to dream. 
Um, but that's not taken very lightly, especially if you're talking about anything related to women's stuff. I find that it's a very, very sensitive topic. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you don't want to hold back, you know, because we're out here actually making, confronting the issue, looking at it head on. We're not deflecting it because it's hard and we don't want to look at it. So when we have all the information we know and we are sharing it with family, you can run into a lot of issues, but I don't know, that, that doesn't stop me. It just makes me a bit more cautious and, and nervous in certain environments, to be honest, because I don't want to be attacked for trying to instill empowerment in my loved one. I think that the younger generation, Generation Z, I think that they're going to be fine. Like, yeah. I, I, I really do. And maybe that's an overgeneralization or, or I'm basing that off of people that I know. But I think that there's enough of us out here doing this kind of work, advocating for people to live their best life. And when I talk to young people in the South Asian community and even outside, I, I feel like they have a much clearer vision. They're, they know that the, they're, they have support around them. And yeah, I, I think it's hard to... It's hard to reconcile some of that intergenerational trauma that's going to bleed into your everyday depression, everyday anxiety, all those kind of invasive ideas and thoughts that people project on you. But I think more people know that they have support. And what did they call the Generation Z people? Digital natives. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So there's here's a generation that's already not knowing what life is like without the internet. Their life is connection. So even if they... I know there's there's a really dark side to that too with bullying and mob mentality and all these things. But if we're just going to talk about the positive and, and using that, really using it for to make our lives better, I think that people find their healing online. I, th I think that people find their community online and heal together. So I think that that's, yeah, I think that's what I've been seeing and I hope it continues and I hope people keep talking on these platforms about these subject matter. Right, because yeah. it's very important to do so. Yeah. Right? Very important to bring these, quote-unquote, taboo topics to the forefront where people don't have to internalize anymore and know that, you know, if there's, if you think that you're suffering from something, there's, you're not alone. Definitely. Yeah. Right. Do you there, have something to say? Well, there are a lot of, I'm just going to say, like, there's a lot of social media influencers now who, who make it known um, through different creative platforms mm -hmm. so you have people creating podcasts or you have people creating sketches and um through art like there's just so many mediums out there and one way or another an audience will connect with it so it isn't just about openly advocating right but also just creating this like safe space where it's like oh you're a south asian who who creates art you're a south asian who's tattooed or who's a tattoo artist these are things that normally would be very taboo, but because there's that um, that mix of like that modern world and what we're seeing on social media and what we know from home, which is almost like a time capsule, you're able to kind of find this like safe space and, and connect and find a community, whether it means they're across the world or it means like, you know, they live next door. So like you said, it's just a matter of like, finding that and making sure you always let the people near and around you know that you're there for them, that you're a support system. And um, it can be in a microcosm or it can just be on social media. So 
I mean, I, I look at my little sister and think that she's like a fourth generation. Like right. I think of myself as a third generation in my house. And watching her interact and see the way that she sees the same thing that I see, but our interpretation is so different. And it's because she's so hypersensitive or she's been tuned into these other other things. Like I'm like the worst person on social media. I have no idea what I'm looking at or how to find things. And her generations on like Snapchat and Instagram and like Visco, like they know about all these new platforms that are coming out. So like I learned these weird things from my little sister and it's just, I think it's fascinating that there's so many platforms out there and they so find many. like these ways to use it. Like it, they're so creative. So it's like you said, you, you there's nothing to really worry about in terms of them finding like a, a career path, quote unquote, because they have access to so much information. They can always ask a question and know that there's someone out there that will give them an answer. Mm-hmm. Whether or not it's the best advice, I can't say, but the influencers within their own group sometimes just need to be identified. And that in turn will just be like the best way for them to advocate for each other, like just as women alone. But but that generation, I think, will be totally fine. They're also growing up around movements. Yeah, the Me Too movement, like it's very public. There's like zero tolerance. It's very in your face. You hear it every day and people are like, oh, shit. These are maybe things that you you hear growing up from your older siblings. I remember talking to some of my Generation Z siblings being like, you know, watch out for this person or make sure, you know, you know about this. And there would be like a weirdness around it. Now they can hearken back to those things and apply it to this and be like, okay, locked in, solidified. Mm -hmm. I know what's going on. I have agency, so on and so forth. But I really needed to say that because we were talking about that earlier too and also to plug the Me Too movement and all of these other concurrent uh, movements that are going on. These things are trending. Mm. Like I know it's kind of a weird way to associate it, but... It is, but in a good way. Yeah, it's very... There's a very positive side to it. So at least people are... um, really tuned in to it yeah yeah they're tuned into things that are just happening in general like it doesn't even necessarily need to be a movement but just the localization of trends um and things that are happening happening within their community and then outside of that and then just having so many layers to that Mm -hmm. is is I mean, it's pretty amazing. It's something we didn't have access to when we were younger. Yeah, it's but, almost like these these young people are being raised to be activists. You know, I want to play devil's advocate on this whole movement slash raising activism. Mm-hmm. It's great when people are actively doing something about it. But I feel like they're becoming hashtags more than the... They do raise awareness. They do do what it's intended to do. But I just hope that the movement and that not just that particular movement just anything in general that is trending as you said right it actually empowers people to take action as opposed to repost and hashtag and go on with their day but that's a part of it right yeah and it's like even if they are reposting and and hashtagging it might connect to someone that really needed that information and great yeah so like even if if that didn't affect me in any shape or form, but I had re- repost it and someone who needed that, like someone who was like, wow, there is a community out there who's right. dealing with something similar. That's all the interaction you needed. That's, I mean, right. whatever and that's channel, on the raising, however That's on the raising you. awareness part because remember when Oprah spoke at the awards, Me Too turned into Time's Up. Yeah. Right? 
And now all these women going going at it. Times up. Me too. Didn't turn into. No, no. I mean, you know what I mean. Like the hashtag story. The hashtag that was trending. They were both. At, at, trending uh, at the same time. Yeah, it was uh, me too. And like people were posting right. both. Yep. But I'm seeing turns into in the sense that like it just now it becomes a new thing of like it rebranded. Yeah, and, like a yeah. Re- you know what I mean. And then the times up habit, and then from now you know that'll keep going. And again, that's great on raising awareness. Whoever needs it, needs it. Whoever needs to know that, hey, there's support out there. We're in it together. We're fighting together. More power to that. But I just hope that this new generation of activism, that where they're basically with this digital age is empowering them to be activists. I hope that that generation knows that it's better to come out of your house and actually do something about it as opposed to repost and right if we don't reach out like i was i was talking to mm-hmm. i was talking to her about this this sounds kind of cheesy but when that me too movement really picked up and what impacted me as a guy was my facebook and my instagram with some women that i knew for many years mm-hmm. some women that i may have interacted with here and there they started posting it yeah and that was that made me feel really sad and like holy crap like uh again every human being has a story to tell has layers to them and this was a layer that they chose to and were entitled to reveal about them Mm -hmm. on on social media and some of them i actually messaged and i actually said hey again this is not to reach out to say what happened this is just to reach out to say that hey you're known and cared for yeah and if you ever want to talk about anything just know that at least i'll be there yeah right they were very appreciative of it and everything i'm like look your business is your business but but the fact that you chose to say hashtag me too gave me like holy crap this person was affected oh my god she was Mm -hmm. she was affected with whatever it was at least they should know that you know they're known and cared for but that's a very hard thing to do and i think what you're saying is like you know you don't need to are you sorry you should come out of your house and be more proactive in being an activist but there's also another layer of like mental capability of doing that. Fair. You have, fair. To, you have to internally deal with all the things that you've been through and emotionally have that strength to to be Even empathetic. Be visible. Yeah. Be it's visible. Really, yeah. It's really hard to just to come out and say, yeah, I've been through the same thing and I'm ready and open to talk about it because so many women have probably never even thought about, and if we're talking specifically just, just about me too, like, yeah about being physically abused they've probably never even given it a second thought because they just pushed it into this corner and compartmentalized it and moved on with life and thought this will never affect me again but deeply it's been you know kind of bleeding into their life or it's just something that they don't they don't want to address so to be able to go back to that space and deal with it and put yourself in that hurt again yeah is probably the I think maybe the truest form of being an activist because you're able to deeply connect with whatever cause you're um, fighting for. Right. And that doesn't mean you have to have experienced it at, at all times, but it could just mean you have know someone who's gone through it and right. you, you've empathized with them. And so you understand what that community is going through. So yeah, it's super important to get outside of your house and, yeah. and be an activist. But if you can do that from your home and that's where you feel safe, there should never be anything wrong with that. Like you shouldn't feel dejected yeah. and less of an activist. Like in the, so. it, it also depends on the movement. Like with the Me Too movement, uh, I'm not saying like, what, what are we getting out of yeah. our house for? What we can instill in our daughters or our sons or whatever, we can instill that this type of behavior is just simply not acceptable. Mm-hmm. It's not on the woman 
to dress a certain way, not to appease the men in a certain way. Why are we doing that? You know, why don't we raise better sons to like not be, not feed into this type of behavior? Yeah. Temptations are everywhere, but you know, you control it yourself, right? This goes for both sides. Mm -hmm. But I mean, Parkland shooting, that's something that girl came out of her house for. Mm -hmm. She saw her friends die. She was lucky not to die. And she is now standing and facing the NRA. Yeah. That's incredible. I think she's like 17. Mm-hmm. That level of courage is, uh, you know, remarkable. There's 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds that have not done what she's doing. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But she's, but that, where's that born, that feeling of stepping out of house that born is, that's born from frustration. That's born from, uh, I can't let somebody else die anymore. Yeah. But that's also you know comes I mean? from, again, knowing that there is a community out there that will support mm-hmm. you. Sweet. Yeah, exactly. So, like to have that backing, to have someone, even one person probably tell her like, you know what? I think you should do it. Probably yeah. gave her that push. And then to have this entire country basically back her up and say, yeah, we agree with you. Go for it. Like, you know, go after them. Right. Is something that not a lot of people have. And it comes down to having that conversation or the confidence or to even express your ideas and, and knowing that, you will have someone to go to and talk to and really like genuinely support you in whatever cause you're pushing forward for. Right. So, and, but that, that symbolizes to me, at least to me, that the power to change things or us is within us. Yeah, for sure. We don't have to, you know, some people are always like waiting around for a handout, waiting around for, you know, why should I do it? Let somebody yeah. else take the reins and, I'll jump on the bandwagon. Yeah, exactly. And then I'll jump on the bandwagon. I'll support that, right? Financially or hashtagging, right? Yeah. But somebody else has to do it. But I think, yeah, it's it's simple, man. The, uh, the power to change certain things is within us. And a lot of people find ourselves, sorry, find themselves complaining about how things are. They're educated about how things are and how that could be changed. But that's where the conversation stops. They complain about it and they move on. Okay, like I got to feed my kids now. I got to do this or I got to go back to work tomorrow. You know what I mean? And that's it. The conversation stops there. And again, everybody has different constraints. Everybody has different limitations and different circumstances where they can't do something because of this or that. And and that's okay. But you cannot complain about pain that's self-inflicted. So take this, for example, you mentioned you were older, right? Mm -hmm. And you've seen more life and you've had that, you know, rebellious phase with your family that didn't support you. And how do you think that has affected your younger cousins or siblings or whoever, where they probably maybe have seen you before as a crazy old lady that's going through life and trying to, trying to pave her way by doing all these rebellious things and being crazy versus (laughs) as they... I'm just saying. Yeah. And, and as they grow up and they face life for themselves, maybe now they're just starting to realize that maybe she wasn't crazy. Maybe she's just was being a normal human being, trying to find her own way, battling the constraints that she had. Now that they have more understanding, do you think that has anybody approached you? Has anybody discussed that newfound revelation, I guess, with you? Or was that just not the case? I think it's like the feelings people have had about me have been, and opinions have changed over time. Like when I was younger, to my younger siblings, I felt like I could do no wrong. They looked up to me. Maybe they were annoyed sometimes, but essentially it was all love, all support. I really can't say what was going on in, the, in their minds for many of them because there are a handful. 
But I did get the impression that they were like, okay, like, I don't know if you're that cool. I, I think that you don't know what you're doing. And I think my parents might be right about you. And I'm not sure what extent that opinion was had or really, really nestled into the mind, their minds. But some cousins of mine have straight up been very vocal about how they think that I'm going astray and I'm, I'm not making any sense. I'm directionless. I've had family interventions, like I was saying earlier, with like uncles and family friends sitting me down talking about, listen, and I was like 22, 23, like, you need to figure out what you're going to do with your life. You should be a real estate agent. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. I remember that. Yeah. It's like so the worst time of your life. It was so strange. Like, they you know felt what, such a burning desire. You know what Miss like Saga doesn't need up. anymore? Real estate agents. Exactly. Like, yeah. like ease. And I, I was like, okay, I don't know if this was cut out for me. But I did all the exams except for the last one because I was like, screw this. This is not for me. I think as we all get older, you know, now most of my cousins are in their mid to late 20s and we've had a chance to talk more about things. There is an understanding, but also probably some critical stuff there and everyone's entitled to that. But really, I don't know. Maybe you should ask my sister. I mean, I think, I think it goes both ways, right? Like mm-hmm. you, like you just said, it's um, even though they're older and they might understand. By the way, we're cousins. If you're... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll just put that out there. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe I can answer that question. I guess. To, like, yeah, it was it was directed more... towards you. I just didn't know how yeah. you wanted to handle the relationship well, I there. I think the one word that really sticks out is just progressive. I think your the way you thought at such a young age was far more progressive and far more informed than a lot of us were. And it also comes down to you being rebellious. And it. I think a lot of people looked at it as something really negative because they're like, oh, you know, she's pushing against our system and like we need to push her in this direction. It's more positive and we have this timeline for her and she's not following it. But a lot of us as we were younger maybe just didn't wrap our heads around what factors were leading you to be rebellious. We just saw you doing certain things and we're like oh that's cool like i want to be able to do that or "Eh, that's a little whack i don't know if i'm i'm into that but as you get older you also realize like wow i have the same aspirations or the same desire it stems from the same desire to push against and push yourself and be a better person and just push yourself further in life and towards the things that you want so progressive is just like the main thing that i always thought of yeah, of course, there's things you do where I'm like, this is weird, <laughs> even as an adult, but that's just your choice. Like, I, I don't need to comment on it. I don't need to even have an opinion. It's just not something that needs to always be shared. You know, like the way you live your life is up to you. And sometimes you just have to watch a person go through the motions and just appreciate um, everything that they they bring to the table and separate their lifestyle for themselves and their lifestyle when they're with you and what they bring to that relationship so i don't think a lot of us think that you're weird or whack or crazy i think the the bros do that's a good point i think yeah a lot of the men because they've never had to experience what we've gone through Mm -hmm. or and i think you caught the brunt of it because you're the eldest but i think they've never had to go through that so it's just a lack of empathy a lack of understanding and maybe a fear of having that conversation and realizing that the women in their lives have gone through so much and it's gone unnoticed by them. 
And that might shatter them, I think, to Definitely. some extent. They all are very emotional people. They just don't put it out there that way. Mm-hmm. So maybe the conversation needs to happen soon, like as adults, because it might just be more beneficial now than it was later or earlier, sorry. But what do they regard you so weird for? I don't know. I just think <laughs> so many things. <laughs> it's hard to really it's hard to even think of. I think it, a lot of it was because like you would push against not just your parents but our parents yes and that was actually because everyone's parents considered me their kind of first child right yeah yeah, yeah. so they kind of took that parental role and were and i think a lot of first grandchildren can relate to this like having a bajillion parents my oldest cousin on my mom's side yeah he's a favorite because he feels the exact same way because he was like mom comes from a very big family. He was parented by like six mothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes that can be very, very suffocating, especially if you know who you are as an individual. Sometimes you inherently know that, okay, what you're saying is coming with love. But if I adapt your, whatever your advice is, it's going to harm me. Yeah. So it's hard to communicate that. And then you get accused of being selfish or, or dumb, like straight up dumb. You're dumb. Like you, you should figure out i don't know you should work at i remember an uncle was like you should open up a u-haul business i have a connection for you not to say people who open up uh, those types of businesses are dumb but i know that that's where he was coming from because he thought that i was not probably capable of more and there's this like urge to have me as surviving and so on so yeah it's hard to really say what they're upset about but i think a woman who's outspoken, who has just opinions of her own, in and of itself is a huge threat. And people become very, very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Especially in a patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Like when that's what you know and that's what you've grown up thinking is the correct system. Even as another woman in that, you'll never fight and never push against the patriarchy because you're like, I need to live in this. Right. right. And that becomes like I said earlier, it becomes your truth. It becomes your lifestyle. It becomes something that you feel needs to be carried forward. So yeah. to have another woman fight you on something that she truly deeply believes in is just like, I think it's just something you can't wrap your head around. I think it's interesting because I've definitely experienced that, just the oblivion. Mm-hmm. But I've also experienced people being like, yeah, you're right you're you're right like that's so true like i do work hard i do work harder than my husband yeah but then when the husbands get involved i i've noticed something very interesting happen they like suddenly start being like my husband cooks like he does stuff like he sweeps sometimes and so they are defending their partner just because of what you're saying like that's all they know that's their truth my husband and my children and my family don't attack me Mm mm-hmm Whereas it's not an attack, it's being critical and we don't know how to be critically compassionate with one another. Yeah, for sure. I've I've seen um, one of my aunts, like we were all out at a restaurant and my my parents were there and um, like a bunch of extended family, but my aunt and my parents sat next to each other. So they're all talking and like we were at like an Indian restaurant we had some like chicken curry dish or whatever. And my, my my dad makes really, really good chicken curry. And my mom was praising him. She's like, you know, this, like the one he makes at home is better than this. And like, you guys should come over and try it and whatever. And my aunt, who basically runs the house, like she cooks, she cleans and like works and like basically raised the kids. Like my uncle didn't 
have too much of a say in it and he just wasn't it wasn't like absent but it just wasn't something that he felt was at the forefront of his priorities i guess um and she decided to be like yeah he he cooks really well too like he cooks great like whenever he does something whenever he gets in the kitchen like it's really good and then my dad turned to her and was like how often is that like you know how often does he actually cook and my dad wasn't trying to boost himself or praise himself but he was just like why are you sticking up for like you didn't even need to say anything you didn't need to address that it was just an awkward situation for everyone because we all know he doesn't do anything in the kitchen so it comes to like what you're talking about is just like you you stand up for this nuclear family that you have in order to save face and maybe like projected on other people like it's just a strange like thing to witness when you know that it's not the truth and you don't want to be seen as some sort of victim or slave yeah you don't want sure. other people projecting that identity you want to show either. that there's equality but there's not like yeah. it doesn't exist in the household right it's really tricky yeah no. well in closing what would you, if you both of you had daughters one day, uh, what type of message would you want to convey to them? Because um, there's a statement out there that says, in order, in order to be a successful parent, you have to be a hypocrite. Can you unpack that a bit? Um, because, I mean, there's, so you had your rebellious phase. I'm sure you went through your rebel, uh, oh, rebellious yeah. phase I don't well. think it's a phase. Right. No, 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 it's no, not, no. <laughs> I, I, I didn't mean to generalize yeah, that you, way. Yeah. You're right. No, it's uh, because you were rebelling against causes and circumstances that were constraining you, right? That's yeah. not wrong for you to do that. It's not wrong for you to do that either. But, um, what, what I'm saying is that your daughter particularly will face maybe maybe not face as much because you know you know what you guys have gone through right so you will try to create an environment that is much different than what you come from or you could succumb to your environment where you come from and unintentionally see yourself becoming the people that you rebelled yeah, definitely right? So like that could happen. So, you know, what do you have to say to that? How do you, how can you ensure that things will be very different if you guys have daughters and for the next generation? I don't know if you can ensure, I can ensure anything. And it's for me kind of a tricky question to answer because at this juncture, I'm not thinking of having kids. I am usually leading towards a no, but I never say never. So it's Fair. always a perhaps. I think that I would want to allow my daughter to have a free, open childhood of exploration and adventure in whatever way that means to her, but also to eventually teach her to lead with love and how really love is the only thing that matters. If we don't want to overcomplicate things with all these layered lessons, I would want to try and route all the lessons back to love and forgiveness while not trying to paint a sugary kind of vision of the world fair kind of slowly easing in and introducing difficult topics but making sure i'm unpacking it for her in a way that doesn't make her lose her mind because when i would dive into subject matter difficult subject matter probably when i wasn't ready and it really shattered my mind because of i really love deeply and feel deeply and i would feel a lot of emotions when I would be learning about some devastating things that happen in the world. So I wouldn't want her to just stumble across that oh, herself. Gosh. Yeah. I remember like you showing me movies when we were younger and I'm like, wow, I was not ready for this. 
it was a lot to take in but it was also who else was going to have that conversation with me you know like a lot of women in our community don't talk about these things they will never talk about sexual abuse or even just things history wise like they'll never talk about how it could potentially affect you in your current world mm-hmm. so they were important lessons and just maybe some context would have been like, yeah and it's and it's so hard you know like in my mind in my young mind i thought i was unpacking so that's part of the reason why sometimes i think hmm is motherhood for me like yeah. are they are right. my kids gonna be very intense <laughs> yes, intensely informed your kid will definitely be intense yeah but in a good way in like a very positive way or they'll be extremely chill yeah or both that'd be cool too mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> or both intense when they need to be chill when they need to be mm-hmm. i think just knowing your own power and love yeah will be the main themes of my motherhood no love is the most powerful force on earth i truly believe that and um if you can teach somebody that love should be treated like god uh i think they can turn out to be great human beings yeah the power of empathy the power of being able to connect with one another and really be able to relate and understand and give that other person that time right and the patience uh these are very important values to have and they all derive from love yeah. right mm-hmm. i think it's like the only faith you should really like deeply practice yeah mm-hmm. yeah absolutely that's something you can, you can control for the most part right but yeah i just wanted to again deeply thank you guys for coming on this podcast and uh sharing some very very important stories and uh discussing topics that are i they're extremely important for people to know to for people to discuss and get the ball rolling on the conversation you know it's tough to share some of the things that you shared coming from you know however the type of family that you come from the support that you had and didn't have it's tough, but again, it's remarkable that you guys are pursuing these av- new avenues. You're paving new roads and more power to any of that for your business, uh, for both your businesses. So again, thank you so much, guys. Uh, I hope the listeners, I'm sure the listeners will have a lot to take in from here. And uh, you're welcome back anytime. Thank Damn. you. Thank you I'm so much for having for us. Part two. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And that's probably going to be religion. So, yeah. Okay. So be sure to check us out at Trapezoid Travel on Instagram for any of your travel needs. And let us know what your what your thoughts are. Uh, yeah. Don't forget to check out Baked Brood CA. Uh, we're on Instagram. We'll be up live shortly on Facebook. But uh, we do custom cakes, dessert tables, fusion pastries. So... Hit me up with an email or a DM and I'll get back to you. Uh, But yeah, uh, this is Speech Therapy Podcast. Thank you for listening. All the socials are Speech Therapy PC and the website speechtherapypc.com and you'll find all the info related to all that there. Take care, guys. This morning, Jen woke up, made three breakfasts, did two loads of laundry, and one conference call. But she also saved $25 because Jen uses a new innovation from Huntington called Money Scout. It analyzes Jen's checking account to find money that's not being used and moves it to her savings automatically. Learn more and enroll at Huntington.com slash Money Scout. Huntington, welcome. Message and data rates may apply to text alerts. Money Scout is subject to eligibility, terms and conditions, and other account agreements. Member FDIC. This morning, Jen woke up, made three breakfasts, did two loads of laundry, 
and one conference call. But she also saved $25 because Jen uses a new innovation from Huntington called Money Scout. It analyzes Jen's checking account to find money that's not being used and moves it to her savings automatically. Learn more and enroll at Huntington.com slash Money Scout. Huntington, welcome. Message and data rates may apply to text alerts. Money Scout is subject to eligibility, terms and conditions, and other account agreements. Member FDIC.